It's time for Talking Pictures Trivia. A quick friendly reminder, New Jersey is one of the few states where you cannot pump your own gas. Welcome to Talking Pictures Trivia, the podcast in which a group of geographically challenged friends explore movies through trivia as an excuse to keep their friendships alive. I'm one of these friends and today's host, Nick, and with me is... Tom. And KJ. All right. Great to have you back as always. Additionally, joining us as a guest for this episode is... Byron. Thanks for joining us, Byron. Byron and KJ have a text message thread dedicated to Kevin Bacon's Six Degrees game. Byron is heavily involved with the Black Professionals in International Affairs, which can be found on Instagram at IABPIA, as well as International Career Advancement Program and the Association of Professional Schools in International Affairs and the Sociology Social Club, which can be found on Instagram at Sociology Social Club. In addition to all that, Byron's wife is the creator and graphic designer for Boho Mama, which can be found on Instagram at Boho Mama. Check it out for different crafts and photo memorabilia. Boho Mama, more than a purchase, a memory. Byron also conveniently likes movies. For those joining us for the first time, we start off each episode with a movie quiz as these pivotal questions will determine who earns today's trivia crown. The first round of questions will be worth one point each, and the second round of questions will be worth two points each. Then, once the fierce competition is over, we follow it up with our famous movie rant, Where Anything Goes. KJ, tell us about today's movie. Today, we are going back to 1987. The Legend of Zelda is released for the NES in the USA. Final Fantasy I is released in Japan. U2 releases With or Without You. Madonna releases Open Your Heart and the world population hits 5 billion. During all this, Paul Michael Glacier's movie, The Running Man, is released in theaters alongside Three Men and a Baby, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, Moonstruck, and Good Morning Vietnam. Nick will be quizzing us today. Nick, what is The Running Man all about? You are all in for a treat this week, my friends. This movie is about a military guy named Ben Richards will not fire on innocent women and children. He then is imprisoned. He then escapes prison. He is then put on a game show where prisoners go. And then he does things for a resistance for some reason. Again, it's an amazing movie filled of lots of cheese and we're gonna explore that. That's all you need to know. Tom, if you only had one word to describe the running man, what would it be? I'm going to take my hyphen privilege and say self-parody. KJ, what would your word be? Announcer. Byron? I think I would go with comedy. And my word would be fantastic. It's time for question one. What caused the famous Butcher of Bakersfield riot? I'm talking about on the ground, not in the air. Locked in. Locked in. Locked in? KJ? Uh, the people were starving? I believe it is Byron. I'm going to say a food shortage, if I remember correctly. Tom? Yeah, I thought it was also food. I thought it was a food riot. They were getting food. Points for everybody. Yes. Yeah. It was a food riot, and he would not fire on innocent children and women. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So we can go in many directions off of this question, but let's talk a little bit about this vision of dystopian future. Okay. We gotta, we gotta talk about this. Yeah. Well, it's, it's a vision of a kind of dystopian future uh, that's kind of 1984 influenced, right. Or inflected. So it's the totalitarian state. The, the take on that, that, really Stephen King and then um, Starsky from Starsky and Hutch have, have put on this is that uh, that the kind of media complex and the state have merged. So there's the, there, this one thing kind of entertainment and government are now a single entity and that's how control is used. That's, that's the kind of opaque thing that's being put into the masses to control them. Um, and that's the, you know, that's that's the take on it. That's unique, we could say. But it seems to be a 1984 model dystopia. 
it all seemed very small to me right you had like what you what you saw is what you got it didn't have mm -hmm. any feeling of a bigger universe behind it and especially when they're in the actual game show i it could have been the same set or even not a set it could have been a parking lot that they were in the whole time like there was no structure there was no form so this this dystopian future it, it either they're either it just it didn't feel very well defined or expanded upon it. It felt exactly what they needed for the movie to get Arnold to say these these lines, which I think worked well. <laughs> there's, no, there's no world building, certainly. Yeah. No, and and I thought you know kind of the same thing where it felt really small. Um, you know, I think when you look at you know for me the I feel like it, it felt very one level below Total Recall, and so where you have Total Recall, which is this this you know world this universe where you have with the running man it felt like it was it, it maybe felt like it was localized even though um like tom tom was saying it was like this this mix between or this marriage between the state and entertainment it also felt very localized like even with the the shot of the the people on the ground it felt really small not like you know where you have this large scene where it's this pandemonium all across the city like if it's a virus or if it's dystopic or anything like that it just felt like it was like oh there's this you know this for example like this one really small area in LA where it just seems like things are going crazy on like Skid Row or something then all of a sudden they bring out the choppers which is this you know overblown reaction to people who really just want something very basic so I felt like that was uh that really kind of clued me into what the running man felt like is that it was not something that was meant to be large but something that was meant to be localized but you're supposed to get the feeling that it's, you know, this really large in mass kind of dire situation. Yeah. I, I'm, it's, it's interesting because it, it seems like the movie, the movie has a cheap look. I think that's part of the, the, the problem, <laughs> why it seems so local. And it, you know, it doesn't have like a, um, Oh, or God, charm. It, yeah, oh, sure. But it, it doesn't have the, what's it called? Catching fire or God, what's the, the, the hunger Lord? games? Hunger, hunger games. games. Yeah. It doesn't have this kind of hunger games thing where you, you get to kind of see a universe and there's world building. And then with the world building, we zoom in and zoom out in, in response to it. Um, it's just sort of everything takes place in LA because we can't afford more sets than this. Um, but if, if you're going to merge government and, and entertainment you can imagine like the justice department in service of los angeles like los angeles would be the place where everything now occurs it would be the center of the world and it's also i imagine people from la just think it's the center of the world anyway was there a single shot with sunlight every shot was either inside or the prison Oh, yeah. the prison they were running yes. across yes. the yard yes. trying to escape with the collars and everything. The airport as well. He's running outside. Okay. Yes. And that was during the day. Yep. Yep. You guys are right. Yeah. With that amazing stunt double. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I wanted to know where he was running to. <laughs> so I know he's the running man, <laughs> but he's running down a tarmac and they're in a truck that has a net guy, you know, like a net gun, like. Is that the best way to avoid them? Like maybe hide in the building or I, I don't know. Yeah. I, well, yeah, I, I, another thing we might bring up later is the, there's one technology that it seems to be, or at least in my head canon in this movie, the one thing they can do is make video of anything. So there's not necessarily cameras everywhere, but I feel like they were capturing everything as it was in 3d and then they can make video of it. Right. They had the exact video of, um, I keep calling him Richard Banner, but it's Ben Richards. Ben Richards. Ben Richards in the helicopter. They had the footage in the locker room. They, they they have a footage everywhere. So I'd assume it would be really tough to hide in the building because they can produce video of any anywhere where you'd go. So maybe yeah. they had drone technology we didn't see. It's just everywhere. Could be. Yeah, I, I don't know how they did it, but they, they seem to have that. Yeah. <laughs> It's it's a surveillance state. They just never bothered to explain it in the in the in the picture. They explain enough of what they need to explain. That's it. Nothing more. Nothing less. Like like most Arnold movies. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's time for question two. Why will you follow Ben Richards' commands when he asks you to do something? I'm gonna lock in. I think I remember what this is a reference to. Oof. Locked in. 
Uh, locked in. KJ, you're going to start us off. Because uh, if you don't, you're going to have to listen to a cheesy one-liner. <laughs> I think that's why we listen. Yeah. <laughs> Byron? Um, the, the, I want to say it was uh, either get fired. I think it was getting fired or end up being one of the running men. Men. People. <laughs> that's true. It is people. <laughs> <laughs> um, Tom? I say, I'm going to break your neck like a chicken. Oh, KJ was the closest, but I can't give him the points because there are a lot of cheesy one-liners. It's because he's going to say, please. When was that? <laughs> when he's in the apartment with the woman and he was oh, telling her, we're going to go right. to the airport. We're going to go to yeah. Hawaii. Mm-hmm. And she's on the workout bench. <laughs> then he lifts her up. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I think this okay. one, this the response to the answer is a perfect time to bring on the cheese. Let's let's embrace the cheese, shall we? Our favorite elements of it, where they may have gone too far, which I don't think is possible in this film. Let's talk about cheese, cheesy lines, dialogue, anything. Yeah, I, I think I like the what was it? Uh, um, un, under upground up uplink, underground uplink. I'm gonna up. What does he say? I'm gonna, like gonna uplink your ass, and then you'll be on the ground. <laughs> it was. I'm going to uplink your ass, and you'll be on the ground. Yeah. <laughs> but it was right after he says something else that's like the opposite of that. <laughs> yeah. It was. It was like hard to follow. <laughs> there was there was the one where the um which character was it was it uh. Not Jim Brown's character, but uh, Sub Zero. I, I was thinking about um, Mortal Kombat, <laughs> but where he gets his neck like kind of done with their barbed wire, Ooh, yeah. and it was something along the lines of uh, being a was it a pain in the neck or uh, <laughs> something in the neck? I remember yeah, that. I think it was a pain, pain in the neck. neck. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh my goodness, it was it was like one after one line after another in this one. Byron, you're you're spot on. I love all of the ones about the stalkers, especially Buzzsaw. He had to split. <laughs> <laughs> and, yes. and, and fireball was a hothead yes <laughs> and then he throws the uh what was it the the dynamite or the um the flare it was like how about a light or something like yes. that it was i thought like, i have never heard more cheesy one-liners in an arnold movie than this one i did not realize it until re-watching it i think it's the most i've ever and i think that's why yeah. i really think this is my guilty pleasure because it's just so over the top i i mean they probably were like in their idea session all the things on the board made it into the film <laughs> like every like single spaghetti and then they made the <laughs> film around all that cheesy dialogue like even as he's running away from Dynamo, he's like, hey, Christmas tree. Hey, light bright. Like, they just don't end. <laughs> like, they, they, like, even through normal occurrences. I mean, it's, it's, I, I love it. I, I absolutely love how ridiculous some of those were. You remind me of wrestling, right? It's like WWF, now WWE wrestling, has that same kind of energy where it's, it's like, cheesy and over the top and big and and that's what's happening in this movie we have you know ventura who's who was at the end of his career i think i think he retired in 87 from the wwf um uh sub-zero professor tanaka i think his name was was also a wwf wrestler in the 70s um and so you have like you have this kind of cheese factor that's taking people from, if anything, the medium that is more cheesy than this and putting it in there. And more or less, and I think they call him Professor Sub-Zero too. So there's not even like, there's barely a reality shift, you know, in it. I thought you were referring to Captain Freedom's retirement because when he did it, it was a true blood sport. (laughs) Oh God. Not all these fancy gadgets. Yeah, we have to talk about Captain Freedom. That that was a we thing will, that was frustrating. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, but there's and also uh, uh, Richard Dawson playing himself, complete with the kissing with the pinky ring from Family Feud. I mean, you know, the so much of the I think the cheese of the movie is is the the lack of invention. Actually. It's just they're taking elements that already exist and putting it more into a collage as opposed to coming up with original stuff. What was interesting is I didn't know him from the Family Feud and then just randomly surfing through 
uh, cable at some point in my life, I came into these reruns of those. I'm like, oh my gosh, he is that guy. <laughs> like It wasn't just like Tom said, I didn't know him from that reference yeah. at that age, you know? Yeah. Everything. The Even like, like the pinky ring that he has was a big, you know, a big thing. He's also British, by the way, which I, I, is unusual. The cheese is interesting because cheese tends to break the tension, right? That's the whole point of like, cheesiness right is that if it's a if it's a horror movie it can break the tension if it's an action movie it can relax you i mean even in like kind of more scatological content you know kind of cheesy metaphors also relax the uh, relax the awkwardness or relax the tension um and it's interesting this movie which has this kind of uh, it comes from this source that's actually fairly scathing Right. It's this kind of like the book is like this um, kind of really vicious anti like Nixon thing that's kind of reinterpreted as an anti Reagan thing. And so there's this like kind of deep anger in the in the source material that then when they put it into this new into this new format, into this movie, they load it up with cheese. So like all of that kind of, you know, young man anger that was in Stephen King's writing when, when putting this book together, um, it just gets kind of sucked out, right? And I, I don't I don't know really what the point of that is other than, the, and I guess they felt they couldn't sell the kind of the original, the, the original content. Um, it could also be that if you're, if you're making fun of these kind of distracting media types, right? This kind of distracting media entertainment thing that keeps you, you know, um, keeps you looking in the wrong direction, so to speak. Actually, having the movie replicate the thing that it's parodying could could kind of be the point. I mean, it could be kind of brilliant of the movie. I, it probably isn't, but that, that's another interpretation of the cheese is is the fact that the movie is is replicating what it's kind of pointing out and what it's what it's drawing our attention to i was debating a question about the amount of cheesy lines and i was actually starting to count them and it was too much for me i just couldn't continue with how, how many did you get up to oh no i ended very i think i ended in the prison escape okay like oh. like i mean like <laughs> really early on in this one like it just mm -hmm. was I, oh my gosh, why can't I remember? The one of the questions I was going to ask was, what was the first cheesy line? And there was something about a guy and he threw him down. It was something about lift or fall, give you a lift or help you. I can't remember it right now. It's killing me. But that's where give it you began. a lift. Yeah. Want a lift? Want a lift maybe? Was yeah. it yeah. Some, give you a lift? Want a lift? Something like that. <laughs> that's where it began. And it just intensified from there. The uh, So other cheese in this movie, they also made jokes that were like they would reference Mr. Spock and then the the younger people in the in the room would be like who like they were they were doing oh, a few yeah, that kind yeah. of stuff um yeah. but I Young guess the Gilligan, snappers. yeah Gilligan's yeah. Island was yep. another one Gilligan's yes, Island yes. yep the minute yeah um and I guess well one, similar to Videodrome this movie couldn't predict that we were going to archive everything and almost everybody was going to have access to everything so the only things that are forgotten have to be like actively forgotten not passively forgotten i also think they censored what was being aired because keep in mind they're controlling the media waves the, the government is in line with entertainment so even if they did archive all those that footage kj is a very good chance they weren't sharing it well i in you like i'm saying in in real life where we are today in in, <laughs> in 2021 we have everything at our fingertips right between I streaming it. and um where yeah in in universe you're right they they had all those tapes and they had all those things but um but yeah i, I just meant similar to videodrome where they were like oh the tv's gonna take over everybody's mind man and it kind of didn't happen because we all got our own local tvs and we could watch exactly what we want uh, the Running Man couldn't predict that every, every, all pop culture that's been recorded is now not gone. It's it's not going right, right? Pop culture in the 1890s, apart from books, right? It's probably gone. I mean, Tom, you might know some plays from the 1890s, but you know, nobody's regularly accessing these things. Talking about the future and their portrayal of it, the one thing they got right, and I wanted to give 
the running man credit for it, but we actually already talked about this in Back to the Future, although it was Back to the Future 2. When did Back to the Future 2 come out? 87, I think. 80... Back to, I thought it was 89. Okay, oh. wait. I'm going to go back to my original statement of what's something they got right about the future. They had big screen, flat screen TVs. I mean, big. These didn't look like they were projections. They looked like they were flat. And the reason I say that is we gave credit to Back to the Future 2 for the flat panel TVs, but actually in the Green hmm. Man, we saw them. I'm sure there may have been earlier versions maybe blade runner might have had that as well but they got that 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 one thing came came real i think another one too i don't know if it was a, a foreshadowing or not but looking at the um the public's uh how would you say uh thirst for reality tv mm -hmm. well there was like a, a couple of scenes where they were in um what was his name uh ben richard or um, dawson's office or or just like around when they were like in the hallways and there was one poster that kept showing up. I don't know if y'all caught it, a uh, hate book. And then there was another movie poster um, that was, it was hate boat and it was another reality show, but hate boat just kept popping up. And if you could see what the poster was, it was like, like a catamaran or something with somebody hanging off of it. But you could tell it was in the vein of a reality, a reality show, you know, something similar to what the running man is. Mm -hmm. So I think when you look at, you know, shows back in the 18, uh, you know, the, the early 80s, mid 80s, you know, we had pretty much like game shows, cheesy sitcoms, really bad movies. You're looking at, you know, TV shows like, you know, 18, Starsky and Hutch, I think it was late 70s, things like that, where it's really about, you know, kind of uh, societal issues, um, game shows, you know, uh, what was it? Um, things around newlyweds, things about dating, things about family feud, obviously. But, you know, reality shows weren't a thing back then. So when you look at Running Man and then the movie poster for Hate Boat, and then with the, the entertainment being uh, one with the state, it's like, oh, this is how we keep people happy, which is giving them something that takes their mind off the reality of they don't have food. <laughs> to, to that end, it's also like, um, it's, it's the opaque, right? It's the thing that distracts the masses um, and gives them comfort, gives mm -hmm. them healing, even though it's not... Uh, I wouldn't say healing. It gives them comfort, not healing. Comfort, but not healing. Um, but at the same time, by it being a, like a reality show, and it's interesting, they they foresee, you know, reality shows, which when they first started were yeah. kind of cruel, right? They, they've gotten e easier to watch now, but when they started, they were like kind of mean to the, the people on it um, or the people were mean to one yeah. another. MTV, you look at, uh, well, not, yeah, but Cribs, I was thinking of, Real World, mm -hmm. those are two of like the, early ones that a lot of people think of. Yeah, yeah, it was started with MTV and then moved to what, uh, the island one, right? Would get off the island, don't, don't, don't die oh, on yeah, the that, island. Oh yeah, that or famous one, don't die on the island. What, what, what was it called? The Survivor. Survivor? Survivor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, what, what's interesting about this is, is like the idea with those shows, they're not really reality, right? It, it's it, it has the verisimilitude of reality, but it's heavily edited together to create a kind of dramatic structure. And that's what this entire movie is about. It's this kind of creation of reality because for some reason they have cameras everywhere, which isn't explained whatever. They're still kind of creating the reality for the masses. So there becomes this kind of um, world within the world and reality television actually has become literal reality for the, uh, for the people, you know, for the people in this, in this world. So it seems as if um, you can you can make this like a comment on reality television too, the kind of inherent falseness of it. Byron, you also missed another one of the, the ads that showed up. Uh, it actually was a video ad for climbing for dollars. They show a, a that, that was it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was climbing. So he's he's climbing the chain, and there's like these like like Dobermans or pit bulls chasing at his legs, yeah. and then he gets sprayed with gas and. Holes with all the dollars. <laughs> I was like, I think I'd watch that. <laughs> and that's the point. <laughs> but that does actually, I, I mean, I got to move on, but that does almost go back to Videodrome where they're trying to find catchy things that people would watch. This was a prior episode we did, uh, Byron. Yeah. Uh, the guys, it was about um, a TV station that was looking for, um, I don't know, 
dramatic, eccentric. Uh, Tom, what's a better word for it? Just Snuff out there films. types. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They were looking for things to really catch some eyeballs uh, from some uh, interesting characters. But needless <laughs> to say, let's move on. Uh, at the end of round one, I forgot to tally it. That's easy because no one got that. We have a tie game. Everyone has one point, so anyone can get it when we get back from this quick commercial break. Have an idea for an ad? Is it a fake product? We'll air it. Send us an audio clip of your fake ad, and after it goes through our rigorous and strict reviewing process, we'll fit it into an episode. Don't have an idea for an ad? Make one anyway and send it to fakeads at talkingpicturestrivia.com or call 201 467 8679 and leave a voicemail of your ad. You'd sound really good on radio. This ad requesting fake ads is a real ad requesting you to send us fake ads. Seriously, send us your fake ads. And we're back. Byron, we're at a critical part of our episode where we ask the guests a key question. If you could watch The Running Man with anyone, dead or alive, who would it be? Let's see. It can only be one, right? That's your question. Yeah, it's your question. Yeah. I, I would have to go with so. There's um this uh, I know a musician, an artist. Uh, his name is Fonte Coleman. Um, a lot of hip hop folks know him from the group Little Brother. Folks um, who may not know him from hip hop know him from the group The Foreign Exchange. But I would want to watch it with Fonte because his commentary on just like pop culture. Um, if 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 any of you like y'all are really familiar with like Questlove, it's just like expansive, and it's crazy because Fonte knows so much about so many different things but it's also his take like they're always witty they're always insightful they're always deep um and they're always i think very uh critical of you know where we as a society think what we do how things develop and so just looking at you know as much as we joke about arnold movies as much as we joke about running man i would love to watch it with fonte because he he, he he's able to find like the nuggets that really really have you think about like you know climbing for dollars like you know what what, uh why doberman you know why can't it be poodles you know why can't it you know why couldn't that have been a woman climbing the rope you know you know why do uh dobermans get a bad rap you know so things like that so i would have loved to have watched that uh this with fonte fonte coleman do you think fonte would enjoy this film I, I think he would enjoy it for what it's worth, and it's a vehicle for Arnold the one-liner. <laughs> does uh, does Fontaine do um, commentary like that on a, like on a YouTube channel or anything? Does he have? Is it something he normally does? Takes a movie and picks it apart, or not picks it apart, but comments on it? Um, I think you know he, he's he's amazing on Twitter, and so I know like he's commented on you know obviously music, hip hop, R and B, rock. Um, movies, TV shows, you know, uh, you know, crazy with collections. So I don't, I don't know if he has like, um, you call it like just a, a channel dedicated. I don't think he has like a channel just dedicated to movies, but it's really just checking out like his commentary. I mean, he used to have, I don't know if he still has it, but he used to have a Vimeo channel mm. that was really slick, well done. On Twitter, he's an, he's an amazing, um, insightful voice. Um, what else is he on? I know he's on Instagram, you know, uh, so he's pretty, pretty good. I think he has a pretty solid following there, but I think that's just kind of like all encompassing because of who he is. He's like an everyday um, family man who just happens to rap and sing really well. So he talks about like average things like, yeah, you know, those TVs. He was like, when I was young, I couldn't afford those TVs, but now that I'm famous, I can almost afford to <laughs> things like that. That would be like a Fonte comment. <laughs> It's time for question three. Who are last season's winners? Oh, uh, locked in. <laughs> locked in. Locked in. I don't even have a good joke for this one. I, I... you got to think quick because you go first. <laughs> um, I don't know. Logan from Logan Run. Uh, who played Obi Wan Kenobi? Why can't I think of his name? <laughs> Not Alec Guinness, but um, Ian McGregor. Ian McGregor from The Island and um, the love interest from The Island. Those three. (laughs) The love interest from The Island. Okay. I can't remember who played. (laughs) Yeah, I can't remember the movie. (laughs) 
Byron. I was going to say the uh, last season's winners are definitely hungry and waiting for attention, possibly starving for attention. Okay. <laughs> They are starving for attention. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know they won't be back. Tom. <laughs> I know Whitman is one of them, like the poet. Uh, Price, like the pitcher, like David Price. And I want to say the last one's added or Ahmed, Ahmed, Aded, something like that. Okay. Tom is definitely getting the points. It's Whitman, Price, and Haddad. You said Aded, but I, I think that's, oh, okay. I think that is pretty darn hmm. close. So, yes, the supposed winners, Whitman, Price, and Haddad, uh, apparently are not enjoying the sun and, uh, glamorous lifestyle that uh, the network made them look out. So they're a bunch of, what do we find? Mm. Charred, decaying bodies? Uh, yeah. So, Decomposed. Yeah. Which yeah. are just left in the locker, locker room. Locker room. They didn't even like, get rid of them. Like, that's really lazy. <laughs> yeah. Like they have like, they have a new locker room for each season and they just leave the dead contestants. It was like the abandoned wing. Yeah, it was just conveniently in a in another locker room within the game zone or whatever. I don't even know. Mm -hmm. I don't know. The, and they even the left the dog now. tags on them. Like <laughs> what? Yeah. Apparently nobody goes in that area though. It's like decimated mm. or something. I, I don't know. Just a reason that the rebels couldn't find it even though they had a secret base in the game zone where the transmitter was, but that's another story. Yeah. I think I may have just jumped into my next question. But was, oh, okay. No, I was no, gonna no. Say. It's okay. No, we'll go for it. Go for it. Well, it was like, where is Mac Fleetwood? Where, what the hell is it? He's like in the middle of Los Angeles, but also inside the arena itself. What, where is the, you know, the, like the, the geography made no sense. They're on the outskirts. No, they have tunnels that take them to the game. Oh, okay. Launch down, except for Fireball, who apparently has a jetpack with unlimited fuel. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it's also, it was interesting. It's like Mac Fleetwood. And that was also the other guy there. Do you know who that was? It was Frank Zappa's son. One person that was, I mean, I know you were, we were talking about, uh, was it uh, the drummer from Fleetwood Mac? And then Tom had mentioned, was it uh, Frank Zappa's son? And I was yeah. also thinking about uh, Maria Conchita Alonso. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you yeah. Know, back back mm -hmm. in those days, uh, you know, the 80s into the early 90s, she was a huge star. Yeah, she was and a big so, girl. Yeah, and I mean, even thinking about them when I was watching, I was like, man, I had a, I had a huge crush on her. And it was something, you know, when you look at kind of the, the, the heroines from a number of um, Arnold's movies, they're, they're, you know, it's kind of like this, this, I don't know if you call it archetype or stereotype, but it's like women who tend to be like very strong, very, um, you know, outspoken, not that either of the, those are, are not, uh, what do you call it, uh, negative characteristics, but it's what he like really plays to kind of his strength as, you know, kind of his partner, but like with Maria Conchita Alonso, you know, I think she went from, of course, being like, I hate you, I'm going to sell you out, to then seeing the truth. And I think her being, you know, with him throughout it all, even with them kind of like bickering as kind of like a, a couple, um, you know, I think it really kind of sold, you know, the Arnold being tied to the resistance. And then you have Maria, who is, um, you know, part of the entertainment and then she ends up getting, um, of course, you know, put into the game because she ends up on, uh, you know, seeing the truth and as, as well as revealing the truth. But um, it was it was great to to see her as that character to really see the change and then trying to trying to be part of the change. And she actually had a critical role within the limited plot of this film, she remembered the password to the uplink signal, which allowed the resistance to broadcast everything. And I guess presumably bring down a game show. I, they didn't quite bring down the whole society, but it was a very important part of that plot line. Yeah, it, it, the musicians, it's, it's fun to have all of the rebels who make changes be these, these kind of popular musicians were connected to, you know, I guess Frank Zappa's son, whose first name I, I forgot, 
was a pretty successful musician in his own right. But there is this kind of like musicians versus former wrestlers, that, that dynamic that's going on in here. Um, and I don't quite know, you know, maybe it's like the kind of like rebels, 70s, 80s, uh, outlaw musician against, you know, like what, like the hulking example of perfect man or something like that. I, I, don't, I might be reading too much into it, but there is that dynamic that's going on here where the, the good guys are, you know, musicians and also Arnold Schwarzenegger. Tom, it goes back to your point before about anything they could find in L.A. It's like, oh, yeah, we got a bunch of musicians. <laughs> yeah. We got these wrestlers who try to act. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't there even we need to make, a, you know, mm-hmm. a, we don't even have to travel to create scenery. And it's a, it's a great platform for politics, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. We, we got two governors in here. Mm. By the way, the other guy's name was Dweezil Zappa. So if you, didn't remember, okay. yeah, yeah. if you didn't remember it, that might be why. Yeah, I knew it was something hard to remember. And something to keep in mind too is uh, Alonzo, Maria, um, she was also a musician. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think I knew her from you know, all the, the kind of the action movies that she did, but it was kind of with watching this movie and then doing a little bit of digging on some of the uh, characters, or more so the uh, actors and actresses, is that she was a huge um, star. Yeah. You know, back in, I think it was like the, the late 70s, early 80s. Mm-hmm. So that was something that I was like, oh, when you look at uh, 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 Max Fleetwood, mm-hmm. when you look at Zappa, and when you look at her, you got three musicians, mm-hmm. like who were just like kind of, you know, definitely centered in the, well, maybe not centered, but definitely a big part of the movie. Yeah. Yeah, there's like a cool factor too, when you bring in musicians, you know, it's like, a, yeah. it's a different energy from you know, Jesse, the body Ventura. Um, and it's, <laughs> and it's, it's, you're watching Arnold go from being more one of those guys, one of the muscle to one of the rebels, which is, you know, maybe the rebels tend to be a little leaner, but in the end you want them to win. Not to take us on a giant tangent, but do you think that in the current era of filmmaking, that has been more moved to comedians all of a sudden within the last, I don't know, five to 10 years, they really made a sharp move into the, you know, silver screen, if you will. I think comedians now have a bigger role um, kind of in our, uh, I don't know, collective conscious with social media. So you don't just have like the, the same, you know, what, 10 standups. You know, I think, you know, when you're talking about like 70s, 80s, you're talking about like Richard Pryor, you're talking about Moms Mabley, you're talking about, um, you know, Gene, well, Gene Wilder wasn't a stand-up, but, you know, uh, Paul Mooney, you're talking about Gene Wilder, who was connected to Richard Pryor, um, you know, and, and they, they eventually had, some of them had movies that were, you know, relatively successful for that time, but now when you look at, you know, so what, what comedians, the exposure they have through social media, so when you're looking at, you know, all of the HBO specials that you can just be mildly successful and get an HBO special. And then if you do well, then that translates into a TV show or it translates into a movie or it translates into guest appearances or it translates into a podcast. You know, obviously, you're ta- you know, you look at somebody like Dave Chappelle, when you look at somebody like Monique, when you're looking at somebody like Kevin Hart, when you're looking at somebody like... Um, uh, what's his name? The guy from My Name is Earl. They take up a lot more space now than what they did before. So, you know, back then I think it was, you know, oh, let's let's see if this musician can translate into a, or if we can, you know, translate or transition this musician into the silver screen versus now, you know, you got somebody who can be a YouTube star. You know, you have somebody like King Batch, who all of a sudden now is an up and coming star on the silver screen as well as you know, TV shows. So yeah, I think it, it's a much different game now with social media. I was gonna say, yeah, cause you did have, you know, like um, Steve Martin or Robin Williams who also started off as standups and had mm-hmm. had that transition and Robin Williams via, uh, also via the small screen with, with Mork and Mindy. Mork and Mindy. Yeah, yeah. And, and Richard Pryor had a pretty, su- had a semi-successful film career. He wasn't as talented an actor as, as Robin Williams. I think he was a far better comedian. Um, but it just seems like you have a the gatekeepers aren't there anymore and so you don't have like the um you know the, the same 
there, there's more specialty in what we could look for. And so there's more means of accessing. And, you know, you'd, you wouldn't have somebody like Louis C.K. writing, directing, editing, and starring in his own show in the 1970s. It'd, it'd just be too expensive to do something like mm. that. Um, there wasn't enough channels, right? He, he was an FX guy, which is the, you know, the, the, this, this other thing altogether. Um, and so it seems like while you don't have the kind of star power that being a Richard Pryor gives you, like he is the man, um, you know, Dave Chappelle is probably the closest to that, but I don't think even Dave Chappelle had the kind of, um, the, the kind of uh, uh, marquee that Richard Pryor had, but now you have this, this greater, far greater diversity. And that allows you um, to hear a musician you meet, might really love. And KJ, you mentioned this on the last episode, like, um, you know, the Onion headline about man finally meets someone who's heard of his favorite musician. That kind of greater diversity. Um, but we're still in the era of the gatekeepers, I think, in this, this 80s scene. It's time for question four. What were the odds on Ben Richards for the next kill? He's one mean something something. <laughs> Locked in. I don't know how that translates to odds, though. Right? It was on the board, right? That big board? Yes, the bookies. Yep. Yeah. Oh, God, I couldn't make out that board. Um, oh, mm, locked in. Oh, I think I might have just given him a hint, uh, Byron. <laughs> I'm going to lock in, too. Tom, start us off. Two to one. Byron? I, I, no, I don't remember. IDK. Give me something. Uh, I thought it was 20 to 1. Let's go 20 to 1. KJ. I, I thought it was 100 to 1, which I thought was crazy. And I didn't know which direction, to be honest, when they said it that way, because he was doing well <laughs> at that point. But I thought it was 100 to 1. KJ gets the points. We are going to have to go to a tiebreaker on this one. Uh, I will let everyone try because this tiebreaker is going to be worth three points. Yeah. Um, but before we go there, yes, I have to talk about the stalkers. I mean, come on, <laughs> this movie is all about the stalkers. <laughs> mm-hmm. So this is the scene where uh, a nice little old lady with uh, a little fire <laughs> bets that Ben Richards will make the next kill. And of course, they're supposed to pick a stalker, but she decides that that's not what she wants to do. So let's talk about the lineup of stalkers, their personalities, their weapons of choice. I mean, we can't end this uh, conversation of questions here without talking about our, our 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 lovable and favorite stalkers. It's nice to see nice to see Jim Brown, <laughs> who's still alive and kicking, right? He's still. He is. Uh, I think he's still alive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His uh, his his rookie year was 1956. <laughs> so, wow, wow. <laughs> yeah. So he's he's still keeping it going. Um, but yeah, he dropped out of NFL to to do movies, which includes includes this performance. Um, yeah. So I, I think he was my favorite, just because Jim Brown. You know, Jim Brown's the man. I don't think it was necessarily the. Um, it, it didn't necessarily have the out of his head flare of uh, buzzsaw i think you know buzzsaw's like <laughs> really wide eyes and great intensity um is probably a, a lot of fun and dynamo makes no sense how how has no one killed dynamo yet <laughs> <laughs> he just drives them over in his little go-kart yeah he's not in good shape i guess it's the electric thing he, yes it's like, yes it's he, like he, he it's electrifies like, you to death yeah <laughs> It's like a fat guy with a gun, you know, like he's he's the best in a world. And don't, don't forget the operatic yeah. vocals. Who's a real opera singer, actually. <laughs> I looked him up. He's <laughs> See, yeah. another singer. There you go. There we Wrestlers go. Are sing- <laughs> or singers. We just yeah, it's just a musician paradise. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I you know, even though Jim Brown probably isn't the most uh, charismatic of them, I, you know, there's this little like jim brown fan in me that that jumped at that the actual fight scenes i thought were edited really poorly i never had any idea what yeah. was going on and maybe yeah, that yeah. wasn't the point right maybe <laughs> the point was the show of the stalkers and the show of of the runners um but the movie it, it felt like it was edited or even shot like a tv show not like a movie like there was no the choreography didn't lead you to the next mm-hmm. move i think i mentioned before the settings were they were like non-existent where were they yeah yeah Mm -hmm. right um yeah so thank goodness the stalkers at least had 
silly things about them so we can identify them. Yeah. Yeah. It was the, I, I completely agree. The action scenes were, were utterly, uh, utterly whitewashed. They would look like the same thing over and over again. I think I would go with Tom. You, you had Jim Brown. That was going to be mm -hmm. my first. Um, I think just the, the fact of who Jim Brown is and knowing that he decided his time in the NFL was done. And he was like, yeah, I, I didn't want to basically retire and not remember who I was. And I felt that at that time, you know, the film was where I could, I could still make some money and people knew me. And so, you know, he ended up you know, basically uh, moving over to black exploitation. And that's where he ended up making another name for himself. Um, but I think, you know, since you said Tom, I'm going to have to go, or since Tom, since you said Jim Brown, um, I'm going to have to go with Captain Freedom. <laughs> I think <laughs> Jesse Ventura going from, you know, uh, going from a stalker, then going to a uh, aerobic instructor, <laughs> which was hilarious, and then going back to the stalker with a moral code. I think that just cracked me up. And, and you know, I, from my day looking at, or maybe from our day, looking at what uh, American gladiators were, I think I could, he was the only one that I could see in, you know, this type of show, you know, even if he was you know, like uh, in real life, uh, an American gladiator from the TV show, I believe that he could have done that. So yeah, I feel like just Captain, Captain Freedom. Yeah. He has my vote. <laughs> I love the scene where he's giving co color commentary and he's about to break down into this old war story and Damon just cuts, him, cuts off. him off. <laughs> <laughs> That was, a, that was hilarious. I, I will say that one of the biggest flaws of this movie is that he doesn't fight Arnold, right? They set it up. They set the whole thing up. This is Chekhov's gun. This is the whole thing that Chekhov says with the gun. It's right. It's you when you show a gun on stage, you fire the gun. That's the thing. You set up Captain Freedom. He's, you know, he's the guy. He's always in the background. We know he's the greatest ever. Um, we also know he's like the good villain in the sense that he's a villain. He's he's a moral villain, right? He's like the Anton Chigurh of this of this masterpiece that we watched. Um, and yet, he, yet they never fire the gun. He never goes out and fights Arnold in a real in a real contest. Well, they do it in a simulated, but contest. it's not real. You know, it's not like a real thing, right? It's not like but that's what, what it was waiting real? for. <laughs> well, he fought the body double. Yeah, he fought a body double. <laughs> Wait, I want to talk about that in movie Red. I want to okay. talk about that in okay. movie Red. Oh, that drove me. I just, uh, that was my, like, and the, the aerobics thing, I, I really loved. I thought that was hilarious. But that was the part of the movie, I think even more than the bad fight sequences that drove me crazy was, the, you know, this, like, huge script flaw. But anyway, I'll get over it. It's fine. My vote would be for Buzzsaw. I think he had a lot of personality. It's time for a bonus question. What does Ben Richards think of Damon's offer to sign a contract to be on the game show? Locked in. <laughs> I, I think I got it. <laughs> I'll lock in. <laughs> Locked in. Three points, so it's anyone's game. Locked in? I don't think I know this one. KJ? It's a load of crap. <laughs> that could be <laughs> Byron when hell freezes over Tom he's going to shove the contract down his throat but hopefully leave room because then he's going to punch him in his in his throat like down to his stomach or something like that but there's a point where he's like <laughs> I'm going to shove the contract down your throat but you better leave room because then I'm going to punch you down there as well <laughs> that's actually pretty accurate <laughs> So Tom's wow. Tom is gonna get the three points and take down the episode. Yeah. But I'm gonna read you the actual quote. Oh, I'm so embarrassed that I won. I'll tell you what I think of it. I live to see you eat that contract, but I hope you leave enough room for my fist because I'm going to ram it into your stomach and break your guard darn spine. Oh wow. man. Uh. Now that's how you win an episode, Tom. It's time for Movie Rant. Something that didn't come up on this episode, but I really wanted to talk about it with you guys, really anyone who would listen and actually give me the moment to talk about it. There's a scene in this film that always perplexed me for years. 
And it's when the simulated fight between Captain Freedom and Arnold Schwarzenegger, aka Ben Richards, happens. And Damon's secretary says, Damon, you didn't have to kill him. And it's at the same time where we see the digital editing coming off the person who got hit with the spike. I have a theory of what that means, but what did you guys think that meant? You didn't have to kill the stunt double? Yeah, same. And that, I was thinking that uh, with basically killing, you didn't have to kill off Ben Richards, thinking that he, you know, I think the, the crowd was starting to like him at that point. So I was thinking that she was saying that basically he could make us more money and, you know, you just shot yourself in the foot. You know, Byron, after years of contemplation, that is the theory that I've come to. But originally, I did side with Tom and KJ. However, I was realizing after multiple views in my lifetime that that wasn't necessarily a stunt double. I then realized that was probably pre-recorded an earlier fight from earlier in his career that they digitally edited Arnold Schwarzenegger's face over. But for years, I would stare at that and figure out who was that person that they didn't have to kill. And then I realized this is all about the showmanship, the production value that you are right, or at least I believe you're right, that he was a star. Why did we kill off our star? Another theory when I actually looked this up on the internet was people were like, wait, does that mean they killed Jesse Ventura's character? I never thought that. But I did come to the conclusion that for entertainment value, he may have been more valuable to them alive. But did you guys, after I said that, KJ and Tom, did you ever think that it could be interpreted differently? I guess if she's not in the know, right? She's she's just become a, a Ben fan. And that's what that's what she's saying, possibly. Yeah, it's maybe. his it's his assistant. Like she like he's she's probably the only one he doesn't talk mean to in actually the whole movie. Like, well then is she it? in the know? Does she understand that Ben didn't die? Right? She's watching the editing happening, right? Yeah, yeah, no, that's why I'm saying she thinks that you didn't have to kill his character off. Oh, they could recruit him as a, yeah, as huh. an ex-star. Yeah, so that's 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 the only reason I want to bring this one up because as I've watched this movie multiple times, that's the one scene I've actually like micro-analyzed to figure out what the heck she's saying. I think it may be the only one you can do that in the film, but I do think Byron's interpretation is... <laughs> my final decision, <laughs> you know, on what I think actually she was trying to say. Yeah, because I guess it would be old footage, right? Because Jesse Ventura's character is not doing this anymore. Exactly. Yeah, so, sure. I had assumed yeah. they, because he, he ripped the stuff off and said, oh, no, I'm doing this with my bare hands. And then I thought they went out and shot that scene, which I thought was strange because Jesse Ventura wanted to actually fight. He would know he wasn't fighting Arnold Schwarzenegger, that he was fighting a double <laughs> So why would he make this footage? So I guess it makes more he sense. He said footage. that he won't do it. He didn't say, I'm not going to do it with this equipment. Uh, I mean, he said, I'm not going to do it with this equipment, but he also said, I won't do it. And that's why some of the interwebs thought that Damon killed off Ventura, but I never took it that way. This is but why you anyway. fire the gun. When you load a gun, <laughs> you fire the gun. I think that the, the big thing for me was just really seeing um the attempt at showing a dystopic future and really trying to figure out a way to rectify things with that weird forced ending. Um, I think it was a good attempt to kind of paint uh, Schwarzenegger as this, you know, kind of moral uh, hero. Uh, but I think all in all, it was just a great vehicle for Schwarzenegger doing Schwarzenegger. I'd like to once again, congratulate our winner of the week, Tom. Well done, especially in bonus yeah. round. Actually, that was pretty, mm -hmm. pretty challenging to get it as close <laughs> as you did yeah. with that crazy dialogue that yeah. you had to bring up. Yeah, well, I, I, I use it on my underlings or my students in, in college, so that's why. Check out our website, talkingpicturestrivia.com, for more information about us and our episodes. You can find us wherever you listen to podcasts as well as our YouTube channel. We are extremely grateful for any positive reviews as those help others like you find us. If you like what you hear, remember to like and subscribe to our show. Do you think you could survive The Running Man and why? Let's continue the conversation on Twitter at Talking Studios. Have additional thoughts? Email us at talkingpicturestrivia at gmail.com or give us a call at 
467-8679 for a chance to be featured on one of our future From the Listeners episodes. Thanks again, Byron, for joining us today. Where can people find you? You can find me on Instagram at BLW. Once again, that's Instagram at BLW, as well as Twitter at Byron L. Williams. And that is Byron L. Williams. You can find me on Twitter at Thomas Lehman 15. Also, please tune in to Talking Pictures Trivia B-Side. It's the, the sister podcast where we cover these films in more detail. Um, we will see if we're going to do a Rotting Man one, but please, <laughs> we have plenty of B-Sides for you to back catalog. So uh, shuffle through those. And you can find me on Twitter at KJ1000. I can also be found on Twitter at The Nicknamed. Join us next time where we discuss Tom's recommendation from 1919, Madame Dubarry. Stay tuned for our first impressions of Madame Dubarry. Ding, 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 ding. Yes. Um, I don't remember when I first saw this. It was a while ago. And I, you know, I had like a silent movie period where I watched a lot of them and this was one of those. And I wanted to do it because I was... Um, we had covered some silent movies. We hadn't really done the like costume drama thing that was going on in Germany at the time. And that's why I brought it here. And I hadn't seen it in really many, many years. Um, and it was actually pretty hard to find. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's like not available anywhere anymore for, for some reason. Um, and we had also done uh, Marie Antoinette earlier last year, which featured Madame Dubarry as well in that movie. Uh, and so it was nice to see another version of her. Um, what was I doing while I was re-watching this? Uh, ah, you know, I really didn't have any fish whatsoever. I think it was like probably, I was with my parents up, up in their lake cabin. Um, and so it was like a lot of breakfast food. So I would say sausage is what I was eating while watching this movie. Sausage and bacon. How about you guys? So when I saw another silent film on the calendar, I thought it was actually going to be a good thing. I have a lot going on in my personal life lately. And I thought maybe I'd have like a 40. He actually thought it might yeah, be a good thing. Well, I'll explain why. I'll explain why. I thought I was going to maybe have to devote, you know, 30 minutes to an hour to watch a movie this week. Just because, again, I'm... We're, we're moving. There's a lot going on with, you know, personal and, and professional life right now. And I thought I'd be quick. And next thing I know, I'm in this hour, 50 minute plus silent film where I have to pay attention and read all the intertitles. And the version I had was in multiple languages, which one of them fortunately was English. So it took a lot more uh, mental capacity than I thought. However, I did think it was an interesting watch and to see the evolution of this character who, yes, I did meet in uh, Marie Antoinette in one of our earlier episodes to see a different portrayal of her in, in this film. So it was interesting, but I thought I was actually in for a shorter watch and it turned out to be the longest silent movie I've ever watched. We haven't done Napoleon yet. Napoleon is five and a half hours. I don't like this yet. <laughs> Sign me up. <laughs> mm -hmm. I actually haven't seen that. I haven't. I heard it's really good. But... I don't know it. But... <laughs> oh, okay. Um, what, what, how did you guys watch this movie? So I, I for once attempted to watch the film more than like a day or two beforehand, and I was like, I'm going to get this movie and I'm going to watch it because I'm. I just started school and I knew I was going to be starting in MFA and so I was like this week so I was like all right so I will watch it in advance and and I went to go find it and I found it nowhere uh and so it was a very difficult film to find with English subtitles now as to be fair I think I could have got away with most of the film without the English subtitles there were the, to get the basic introduction you get the subtitles but to get away with it other than that I think it would have been fine so I attempted it to be really diligent and watch it well in advance. I did not. I watched it today. Um, the first half hour I watched on the Peloton. Um, so I sat with my... <laughs> my Multitasking, uh, my, uh, that's a good way to do it. Yeah, oh yeah. It was, it was, it, I, if I could have put it on the Peloton screen, it would have been brilliant. Instead, I had to stand there with my like tablet riding 
<laughs> watching the first for an hour and 53 minutes or whatever for an hour and 53 minutes i am a peloton master uh no i watched for 30 minutes on the peloton and i i so i got through that and then i watched about an hour um and then i watched the uh last uh 15 minutes before the podcast i tried to be good i tried to be good. <laughs> I failed. this was a photo finish for me too pat so you're, you're good uh, so I was recruited to be on this particular episode the long, long time ago of Monday. <laughs> mm. So today's Wednesday yeah. for the home listener. Yeah. Um, but this, this was the first time I'd watched the movie. This was the first time I had heard of the movie. Uh, I looked it up very briefly after uh, my presence was requested on Monday. So I had a vague idea of what the movie was before I watched it. Um, but watching it on a laptop with English subtitles in a Word document to the side of the actual video I was watching um, in the dark was how I chose to uh, prepare for this particular podcast. Optimal, optimal conditions mm -hmm. is what I'm hearing. Very good, yeah. I like the inclusion of Microsoft Word <laughs> in your, your film watching experience. I mean, we've got Microsoft Word, we've got Peloton, we've got, we've got yes. we're just corporate yeah, sponsorships. Yeah, we're just fishing for And if you want to learn more about Madame Dubry, listen to the Audible. 